0: is the Todd and Friends Podcast. I don't like to waffle on predictions. That doesn't mean I always hope I'm right. Oh, what's he going to (laughs) do? Oh, come on. I'm with you. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, I'm with you. Todd, I knew we'd agree on something here. (laughs) From the KWLM Sports Studio, with thanks to Heritage Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender, here's Todd Bergath. Actually from Las Vegas uh, today, working remotely down here covering the Super Bowl for uh, KWLM and the Todd and Friends Podcast. And we welcome Mike Grimm in to join us uh, this morning. He's made many of these road trips and and uh, working with remote equipment and so forth and yeah. and uh, they can be a challenge once in a while grimmer i've been putting out fires all
1: morning <laughs> yeah that's that's always fun yeah that's the, the uh the challenge of being remote sometimes with the wonders of technology is uh, is fun. Yeah, it
0: is fun to go remote, that's for sure. And, and uh, you know, it has to be a lot of fun to be at Williams Arena uh, these days. Now, we know we'd like to see the crowds a little larger. Ben Johnson has talked about that, but then he kind of said, hey, we want to thank the people that are, that are coming as well. But, boy, if you go to Williams Arena right now, you're getting a great product there. They're playing so well.
1: Yeah, they're they are playing well, even even during uh, part of the losing skid. Right before this three game winning streak, I thought they were playing pretty good basketball. I've had. Some people ask me, well, what changed? And I said, I don't think a lot has changed other than the outcome of the game. I mean, even in that Wisconsin loss, I thought they made the winning plays late. They just, you know, didn't uh, finish the game. And uh, same with uh, with the game at Michigan State. I thought they made some good plays late. And now some of those good plays are, are actually cashing in to win. So um, they played extremely good defense in the second half the other night against Michigan State. They forced Michigan State into so many late shot clock Situations that, um, it really was a benefit. They went, and there was a stretch where I think Michigan State was like one for 14 mm-hmm. in that second half. And, and while that was happening, Minnesota was starting to hit some shots. And Cam Christie, the freshman looks like with every game, he's just gaining more confidence. Might be the best freshman in the Big Ten, mm-hmm. uh, ranking freshman of the week. And, and, you know, he's got a good start to maybe win it for a second straight week, depending on what he does Sunday. So yeah, it's been fun. The crowd was good. Frankly, I still think it can be better. There were a lot of empty seats in the upper deck. They only drew about 9,000. Some of that has to do with, uh, you know, it was an 8 o'clock Tuesday night tip. Um, prices in certain places of that place are probably a little overpriced as well. Um, but, um, that said it was noisy and it was a factor and that's
0: fun for sure. Yeah, no doubt about it. And, and, uh, you, yeah, you, you referenced that maybe some of the upper deck tickets or what have you, are maybe a little spendier and that it might help people to come in if they didn't have the, but I just want to, you know, remind people, there's not a lot of bad seats at Williams arena. Let me tell you, uh, no matter where you are, you, you, you get the, the feel for the game. And, you know, we talked so much last week about the possibility of a new Williams Arena. And that just kind of points it out. I mean, the fan experience would be uh, different outside of Williams Arena. You lose the history a little bit, certainly. uh, But I would think that would help attendance.
1: Yeah, I I think for sure you'd have that new um, the new uh, honeymoon period where, where you would sell out much like Target Field did, much like U.S. Bank Stadium. And again, there's. You know, I'm not trying to compare them exactly, but yeah, I think you'd have a honeymoon period where tickets would would be at a higher premium. And, and you know what's interesting? Because um, I think Wolfers were taking some bullets on um, you know a, on the ticket prices. And I agree. I think those upper deck end zone seats is a it changes the building when they're full because well, yep. that, that's where the noise comes from. Um, and they probably do charge a little too much for them, but you could get in for 35 bucks. That, mm-hmm. that was the base value of an in zone upper deck seat. Mm-hmm. Um, is that too expensive? I don't know. Upper deck Timberwolves game is over 100 bucks. Yeah. You know? Yep. They're selling that out. So there's a choice people could make. Like, if, if you and me, Todd, wanted to go to a Timberwolves game mm-hmm. and it was a lowered bowl seat at the Target Center, uh, we would be uh, on the hook for the tickets alone at uh, over 150 bucks a guy. Yep, yep. You know, face value. I'm not talking secondary market. I'm talking if we just bought them straight from the wolf website. So it's expensive to go to places, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, the, the Vikings are um, extremely expensive. So um, it, it's one of those weird paradoxes. You don't want to devalue your tickets so much. I understand that. That said, Empty seats, you get nothing out of, right? Yeah, so yeah. at some point, um, my, my theory would be I'd love them to see those upper deck end zone seats at the barn. Um, I'd love them to put on some sort of a, a ticket special that, one, you can keep the scalpers away from just scarfing off the bargain seats and then trying to put them at a higher price. But let families buy them, you know, get uh, dude season tickets for, for $149, and the family can then buy, you know, if I'm uh, married and have two kids and we're somewhat of a young family that's not making a lot of money, Um, Maybe I can take my kids and wife to a game, you know, every game for, you know, I don't know, 600 bucks for the season or something. And then pretty soon we like it and I start making more money and I'm going to buy lower deck seats and make a donation. And you got to funnel people through that way. And I I don't know if they're, I don't think they've frankly been creative enough to do that. But I'll tell you this. I mean, we we said it last week in relation to that building. If it's full, it's it's maybe the second or third, first, second or third best home court edge in the conference. We just got to figure out how
0: to fill it up yeah that's right and one way to do that is to get back to their winning ways which they are uh now i have to so my stepdad he he's a huge gopher fan he listens to the podcast i have to give him a little credit here so early in the season he was watching some of the non-conference games as i was and he said man this looks like it might be an ncaa tournament team and i said hold your horses there just a minute let's not go (laughs) quite there yet but now that's legitimate talk for the gophers
1: it's getting there. It's mm-hmm. probably still a little early, but you're hundred percent right. What they've done is they position themselves in and your and your uh, your father in law?
0: Yeah, stepdad. Yep.
1: Check that, okay, yeah, uh, you're right. It, um, he, he's right. They, they, the win the other night against Michigan State was their first quad one win. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to need more than one quad one win to get in. They have opportunities. This Sunday at Iowa was a quad one win opportunity. very, I think, a very winnable game. So, you, if you can stack that one in, that's good, and that would get you to seven Big Ten wins. Um, and and they're in the 80s right now in the net ranking, and that's not the end all. And be all, but there's not going to be many at-large bursts, of any from the '80s. So you got to keep winning. But mm-hmm. look, if you're a Big Ten team, look, and I don't know where they'll finish, but for the fun of it, let's say they get to 11 wins or 12 wins in the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know that that's going to put them in the '60s or '70s, um, which traditionally that wouldn't be that wouldn't get you in, but. Man, are you going to leave out a Big Ten team that has 11 or 12 conference wins? You know, I think it'd be hard, Hard, and, you know, is it impossible to get there? I don't think so, but I I think, you know, I I think obviously there's work to be done. The the metrics aren't great right now for them because they played a poor non-conference schedule competition-wise, and the Big Ten isn't what it has been in the past in terms of opportunities for a bunch of wins. There's a lot of quad three games this year in the Big Ten, and that hasn't always been the case so the, the metric part of it will be interesting but you're right they, what they've done now um, if nothing else right Todd what they've done is they put themselves in a position that we've got some meaningful games coming up here in February and mm-hmm. Canada we haven't had that for a while talk about the non-conference schedule a little
0: bit was that put together to intentionally to be a little softer because the program had been struggling or is it just kind of how the chips fell
1: I think there was – I don't know the answer to that, so this is a speculative answer Mm -hmm. on my part. I think there was likely a thinking that they just needed to get wins. Like, Mm -hmm. like, let's build confidence. This is a young group. Um, These sophomores got a game that that took their lumps last year. We can't have them go through a tough non-conference and take their lumps and still be questioning themselves – heading into the Big Ten season. So I think that was part of it. I also think when they added the Missouri game, they didn't, well, one, they lost that game, even though they outplayed Missouri for 38 of the 40 minutes and right. they let it leak away. Um, and Missouri's now 0-10 in the SEC. They're not a very good team. So when they scheduled that game, I think they probably figured that would be a harder game uh, and, and certainly a game that um, would, wouldn't would end up being a quad three loss, right? If you're going to lose that, you're hoping there'd be a you know a quad two or a quad one, and Missouri just hasn't turned out that good. And San Francisco, and I was thinking about this yesterday that San Francisco lost. They lost that game by 18, and San Francisco's been just all right in that league. We thought at the time, hey, this could be a tournament team in San Francisco. Um, and I got to believe if those two teams played tomorrow, Minnesota not only would be favored, but they'd handle that San Francisco team. It's a totally different feeling Minnesota team now than it was back in whenever that was, that was the, the, the Sunday after Thanksgiving way back in November and even the Missouri game, right? Yeah. I, I think that Minnesota would win that game now, but maybe you have to go through, I think, you know, Ben Johnson's talked about, it. you got to go through some of the, some of those experiences with uh, with new players and young people and guys that haven't been through the big 10 before. And, um, and I think the fun part is you definitely are seeing growth with, with almost everybody on the roster.
0: When you're talking about quad one, quad two, quad three wins and losses, what exactly does that mean?
1: Yeah, so the net, the it's it's metric, the net ranking is, is a formula and it's based on a bunch of stuff. Part of it's a predictive measure that based on your past games and your past efficiencies in offense and offensive defense of simplifying a little, Um, um, This is how you should do the rest of the year. So it'll project what you uh, are going to do based on what you've done. And and it also then will will factor in, um, you know, who you've beaten, uh, the competition level, the record of the opponent, the opponent, all that stuff. Um, And then what they have is... And so what you have is they're separated by quadrants, one, two, three, and four, and it's kind of a rotating scale. So if you are on the road, you can play a team that's ranked in the top 75, and that becomes a quad one win. That's why this weekend at Iowa, who's around 60 that's a quad one win. However, because I was around 60, when they come to Williams Arena, as they did a couple of weeks ago, that becomes a quad two game. Um, and so it, it, it varies. And there's neutral sites, um, that are, that are graded differently as well. And then the tournament committee will one look at your ranking. Um, you know, okay, you're 63rd. That doesn't mean that, oh, well, you're in the top 68. You'll automatically make it. There are other factors. Mm-hmm. And then they also use it to compare you to other teams. So you have three quad one wins. Okay, well, let's see. Colorado State has six quad one wins, and you're roughly the same record. Um, you're going to be under them. So it, it's a metric, one of several they use, but it's in terms of creating the, the team page. They call it a team page, and it's a resume. Here's your record in quad one games and quad two games and how does that compare to other teams who might also be um, in the thick of it? And for the most part, it's used to seed them, you know, to seed the bracket. Mm -hmm. And then it gets into, I mean, it usually comes down to like, what I'm just going to throw a number out, 10 teams for the final five spots, 12 teams for the final six spots, something like that. And then you really dig into that that quad ranking the good news for the
0: golfers is that they have plenty of chances for quad one wins since they're in the big 10 schedule starting would, would iowa be a quad one win this weekend yeah
1: yeah, Iowa because they're around 60 and you get a top 75 game on the road as a quad one. And it's interesting because this year in the Big Ten there's fewer quad one or there's fewer the, – the, the the formula for whatever reason this year has been really friendly to the Big 12 and not as friendly as it has been in the past to the Big Ten. And who knows why. You know, it, it, it can come in waves and it depends. And once you have established in the non-conference – high rating for a bunch of conference teams, then you're playing a bunch of high rated teams and almost self fulfills. And the big 10 has been the beneficiary of that. Not so much this year, but you're right at Purdue, at Illinois, at Nebraska, uh, at Northwestern. Those are all quad one opportunities for sure. Um, And then the home games, um, you know, it's going to be interesting. Uh, Rutgers will not be a quad one uh, opportunity, but at the end of the day, you just got to try to stack up wins, right? Ohio state will not be a quad one game here. Um, but there is chances and there are opportunities. And even playing those games um, will help because the schedule will get tougher as you add quad one opportunities. On top of which, uh, the weird thing is, if you play really efficient and lose, you still are graded pretty well because, as I mentioned, it's a predictive measure. They're trying to determine how good you are. Mm -hmm. and it's much different than the old RPI where it was based solely on wins and losses. This is, this is based on how you're playing it. And this has now been in effect for, I don't know, six or seven years. And um, some people love it. Some people don't, but it it really, like if you play, that's why Wisconsin, they're an efficient team. Usually Uh that's why they always do well in the net ranking, because even if you lose, but you play efficiently that predictive measure indicates you should be a pretty good team going forward. And that is all part of it.
0: It's it's a, a great big world of statistical analysis uh, these days. Has that made it better for the seating? Do you think they do a better job of selecting tournament teams since they've gone analytics heavy uh, with this rather than, you know, I know they still sit around in a room and, and, and make the, yeah. you know, make the tournament, but it seems like they've really gone more uh, analytics heavy these days.
1: Yeah, I I think that it's good. I do. I think these predictive things, you know, obviously the goal is let's get the best, really it's really the best 32 or 34 at-large teams because there's automatic first, and many of those teams aren't going to be in the top 68 coming from you know, low major and mid-major conferences. But then the the goal is basically as simple as it is, as much as we want to fret and worry about it, they basically have to figure out the best 34 at large teams. And like I said, that usually comes when it all comes down to it, probably out of a pool of 45 teams and, you know, Twenty-five of them are locks, right? Okay, these teams have all made it. Now you're really down to figuring out through the analytics and through everything else. The eyeball test comes into play. Who those last few teams are, and quite candidly, I, I you know, I, I don't know how much difference there is in a net ranking team from you know if you're 60th to 80th. Like right now, Iowa's 60. Minnesota's in the 80s. Um, I, Iowa, Minnesota could easily beat Iowa this weekend. So, you know, if they each got into the NCAA tournament or they had to pick one, you know, would it really matter? I, I don't think there's a lot of difference in those high majors from 40 to 80. Quite, quite honestly, you know, anybody can beat anybody.
0: All right. Size up the Iowa game for us on Sunday. If they can pick up a win uh, on Sunday, if they do that, how do they do it?
1: Well, I'll say this. Uh, your stepfather would be right. If they win Sunday, they do, I think, put themselves into a situation now right. that it would be a quad one win. That adds to it. Um, it, it, it adds to strength the schedule. It adds to the resume that you now are two and oh in quad one or had two wins in quad one games, I should say. And, um, and you would move up. You'd probably move from the eighties into the seventies and, and every little bit counts. So it's, it's a huge game in my opinion because you've got Purdue looming next Thursday, a week from tonight. And that's obviously a tough game, obviously a quad one opportunity. You know, you you got to figure the Gophers are an eight to eleven point underdog in that game, so the chances are not great that they'll win it. Um, So that's why Sunday becomes very important at Iowa. If you want to really put yourself in a spot where you're really a legitimate potential postseason team, even if it's the NIT, um, then those um, you know you're going to have to go get two or three games. You got to you got to you know hold serve at home when Rutgers is here and Ohio State is here and. Penn State is here uh, but then you got to go probably steal a few and the game at Iowa is as good as any to go steal that's for sure. Uh, well Grimmer I'm here in Vegas for the Super Bowl uh,
0: this week so good luck obviously to the Gophers on Sunday and to you on the call and that down there at Iowa City and then off to West Lafayette uh, next week because you'll be the road warrior as you often are this time yeah. uh, this time of year but who do you like in the Super Bowl this week Grimmer?
1: Yeah good question I, um, I think it's- quite the coin toss, quite honestly. I think San Francisco is probably a slightly better team, but I just think it's really hard to vote or go against Pat Mahomes and what he's done in his career in the postseason. So I'll say Kansas City in a tight one, uh, winning that game out in Vegas. Yeah, we're, we're, we're
0: very similar-minded. I've been saying that, too. I, I don't think people have made a lot of money betting against Patrick Mahomes. I just don't think no. that, that works out since I'm here in the gambling capital of the world yeah. uh, here in Las Vegas. I probably will put down a, a dollar or two. I'm not really a betting man, as we've talked about before. But, Shucks, you're in Vegas. You're here for the Super Bowl. You probably need uh, need to do that. I feel the same way. I don't think you make much money betting against uh, Patrick Mahomes. How, how, where are you at on the Brock Purdy discussion? Some believe he's advanced himself. he You can't call him a game manager anymore. Others believe it's all about the system and the stars he have around him, and it really is a game manager. What do you think about Brock Purdy?
1: Yeah, good question. I, I mean, he's obviously a talented guy. Um, I think he's more than a game manager, but I also think it was probably a little lofty to consider him an MVP candidate. Yeah. Uh, when you had Lamar Jackson and Pat Mahomes and even his own teammate, right, Christian McCaffrey and Debo Samuel have been really good. I mean, Ty, Tyree Kill down at Miami had a great year. There's others, I suppose, in that mix. But, um, but yeah, I think I think he's more than a game manager. And um, I think if he makes a couple of bad mistakes, that probably cost him the game. So he's very important with what happens. We saw him in Minnesota in that Monday night game. He didn't play well at all, right? And so um, we'll see what uh, what the Kansas City defense has in store for him. But I think he's more than a game manager and look i mean there are guys in the hall of fame um that uh, won super bowls because they were one good quarterbacks but two had great players around them right um and and so i i i I do find it a little disingenuous by some i don't know how you feel but i find it a little disingenuous by some that suggests that he's just a game manager and he's Mm -hmm. only the product of you know, I can go through a whole bunch of guys that um, you know that were around great players and won Super Bowls, and were are very good quarterbacks. You're not gonna be, you know, you're not gonna be no good and be an NFL starting quarterback in the Super Bowl but you know there's you know there's a difference between Brad Johnson who probably was a game manager when he won a Super Bowl for Tampa Bay mm-hmm. or Trent Dilfer won a Super Bowl there's some been some very mediocre quarterbacks um Troy Aikman I mean look at the weapons yeah. he had around him Are we' gonna you know and he he's in the Hall of Fame yeah um, you know and I'm not saying that Brock Purdy's better than Troy Aikman but um, let's not hold it against him just because they're around good players because there have been a lot of good players that have won multiple Super Bowls um, that have had great players around
0: him. yeah that's just it how can you hold because he has good teammates you hold that against him that doesn't seem quite right uh, yeah. to me either you can see when you watch him play why he was the last player drafted he he doesn't have a rocket launcher for an army. he's not very big but man all he does is make plays I'm, I'm on the brock birdie bandwagon and i wasn't initially uh but he's won me over with his play this year grimmer thanks so much uh for joining us as always here on the Titan friends podcast
1: yeah, I always enjoy it. I'm a little jealous. Uh, <laughs> you have fun out there now.
0: I will. Uh, Vegas uh, for us today. Uh, the Todd and Friends podcast coming to you live from Las Vegas. Uh, it's brought to you by Heritage Bank, member FDIC, an equal housing lender. Watch for future episodes of the Todd and Friends podcast at kwlm.com or on the air here at KWLM,
1: 1340 a.m. and 96.3 fm.